if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is every bit of that. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us as we get started at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this free for all Friday, and it will nearly be a free for all. I do have one guest we will dedicate some time to. His name is Peter Kersenow. That's right. He's putting in double duty this week. He'll join me in a half an hour at nine thirty five. But other than that, it will be a free for all Friday, which means open phone lines for you on any and all of the subjects available to us this morning. Uh, it's the fifth morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord 2020, and I truly appreciate you being with us, although I must greet you with bad news today. The bad news today is that we just had a spectacular May jobs report. Despite the whole of America being shut down in some form or another because of the Chinese coronavirus, despite so many businesses having to close their doors, many of them permanently despite so many workers being furloughed, despite so many others being fired or laid off permanently, somehow, some way, in the month of May, the U.S. economy managed to gain 2.5 million jobs, and the unemployment rate declined from 14.7% in April to 13.3%. Total non-farm payroll employment rose by 2.5 million, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, this morning. Number came out about 40 minutes ago, as it always does, in the first Friday of the month. May's unemployment rate declined by 1.4 percentage points, the largest over-the-month increase and highest unemployment rate since 1948. Barring a second surge of the Chinese coronavirus said Tony Bedikian, head of the global markets at Citizens Bank. The overall U.S. economy may have turned a corner, as evidenced by the surprise jobs gained today, even though it still remains to be exactly seen what the new normal will look like. The job increases suggest that the U.S. economy is more resilient than expected and that the Trump rebound that he and many others have predicted once the Chinese coronavirus has subsided is on its way. Now, all of that sounds spectacular, doesn't it? That sounds like great news. 
So you're sitting there and you're listening to the radio and you're thinking, France, why did you say this is bad news? Allow me to explain. If the Trump economy, the Trump rebound, the Trump bounce back from Chinese coronavirus devastation and destruction is imminent, prepare yourself for more quarantine. That's why I'm calling it bad news. Now, I'm not one to get out here and and spout conspiracy theories all day long. I think you know that. If you listen to me, and I've been doing this for 23 years, and I've been here, this is now my sixth year at, at WHK, you know that I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I will entertain some ideas and some thoughts before quickly allowing reason and common sense to say, no, that's not true, here's why. But I will tell you this, I fully believe... I fully believe that big blue state governors are not going to allow this to happen. We're five months away from booting Donald J. Trump from office and ending orange man bad forever. They'll say, that's not going to happen. Or excuse me, we're not going to allow him and the economy to turn itself around to the point where he could actually win re-election. All of these states, and literally all 50 states, are reopening in some capacity. Now, some of them never closed. I still love Christy Noem, the, uh, the uh, uh, governor of uh, uh, South Dakota, who never, ever budged. Uh, and so many others, including Ron DeSantis, who did far, far, far less of shutting down than others, and people thought he was going to kill the massive elderly population of Florida. And it turns out he was right and knew exactly what he was doing, and they have had far less of a problem than many other states. So there's some governors in more red states that are doing it the right way all along. But many of the governors, um, in fact, almost all of the rest of the governors, quite frankly, had, had have had some form of shutdown or another, some of them much more strict and stringent than others. And all of them have started in some small way to reopen, even the draconian uh, authoritarian up in Michigan, uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Some of that, and even Gavin Newsom on California, they've started to reopen in some small way. Once they see the numbers, do you think they're going to allow this in July? Do you think once August gets here, they're going to just allow another 2.5 million jobs to be created and then another 3 million jobs to be created? And the unemployment rate, which was at around 4%, 3.5% when Trump, uh, before the uh, Chinese coronavirus, aided by the Trump economy, aided by the tax cuts, aided by the deregulation, aided by uh, the the expand, uh, uh, infrastructure expansion. All of these things that President Trump did to help create jobs and help create a more vibrant uh, economy, all of those things are going to start to repeat themselves because the policies are still in place. It was only the Chinese coronavirus that put the brakes on it, and everyone knows it. So the 3% climbed as high as 14.1% unemployment, and now it's on its way back down. You think they're going to let that happen in, Ju- in July and August and September as we approach uh, the, the uh, election? Call me cynical, to say the very least. And in fact, it's my prediction. They'll probably use... This will, this will be the, the play that I'm predicting that in hundreds and hundreds of American cities throughout the 50 states, 
all of these protests because of the evil white police officer in Minneapolis and the death of George Floyd leading to justifiable protests, they will say, that there's going to be a massive rebound and a massive new spike of coronavirus patients. And they're going to go right back to the we can't overwhelm the hospitals card and we can't endanger the elderly card by having people out there and engaging in social activities and then bringing their coronavirus uh, with them uh, to to uh, to infect the you know the elderly in their lives, et cetera, et cetera. They will find a way. So I apologize for being cynical, but I have no choice. Big blue state Democrat governors are are w- just. And I promise you, in, on Capitol Hill as well, at the federal level, Democrats, I mean, they're just, they wish the election was tomorrow because of all of the negative trending that has been going on. First of all, the Chinese coronavirus that has led to uh, 40 million Americans plus losing their jobs. They're looking at economies crashing. They were looking for a while at the Dow Jones crashing, although it has rebounded well over 26,000 now as far as the markets go. But they're looking at all of the unemployment. They're looking at uh, uh, looking at the economy. And then, then they're looking at race riots in the streets because of the George Floyd death and the uh, exp- uh, the um, exploitation of those by Antifa and other organizations looking to tear this country apart from the inside out. And they're saying, man, if the election were held right now, we could put it all on Trump. All of it. It's all his fault. Let's have the election now. We'll kill him electorally but if five months go by and the economy grows and people stabilize and people realize that oh my god i mean we handled this worst pandemic in recorded history or at least in the last hundred years and watched our economy shrink and watched our jobs dry up and then look at how fast it came back the guy is doing something right and there's a chance he could be reelected. So call me cynical, but I truly believe that the news we got today is bad news. The news is is that things are starting to open again. We are rebounding. 2.5 million jobs created in the month of May. Unemployment rate dropping from 14.1% to 13.3, if I remember it right. I just read it a moment ago. Uh, And that is not going to be good news for all of us. We're all probably going to have the clamps put down on us once again. Get back to sheltering in place. Get back to sitting, uh, you know, staying put. Get back to antisocial behavior. You're not allowed out again because, my God, we can't allow things to uh, recover. All right, uh, a lot to get to this morning, quite obviously. That was just the off-the-cuff breaking news of the morning. It just literally came about, came down at 8.30. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about the liberal, socialist, communist dream. It's coming to fruition. The deconstruction, the defunding, the abolition of police departments in America. Starting in one major city, I'll tell you which one, But city council is on the verge of voting to abolish the police department and then to reimagine public safety in another way without a police department. The ramifications would be staggering. We'll talk about them together. And don't forget, Kirsten House coming up at 935 on AM 1420 The Answer. Joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. 
the uh, socialist and communist utopia of uh, essentially anarchy reigning in the streets is one step closer to becoming reality, at least in some American cities, the first one being Minneapolis. The Minneapolis City Council is, according to multiple reports and messages online from city, uh, uh, city council members, they're very close to disbanding their police department. That's not an overstatement. They are saying that the department is not able to be reformed and it needs to be disbanded. But not just disbanded and then rebuilt as a police department with new leaders. And oh, by the way, it should be, should be pointed out that the chief of police in um, Minneapolis is is black. It should be pointed out that the Minnesota Attorney General, the top cop in the state, is black. Uh, it should be pointed out that many other city leaders are black. And yet they're really, really upset about their quote-unquote racist, unredeemable police department, which is kind of odd. But they are talking about literally disbanding it and then recreating or reimagining a new type of public safety, one that is, quote, nonviolent. Steve Fletcher, Minneapolis Ward 3 Councilman, tweeting, I don't know yet, though several of us on the council are working on finding out what it would be take to disband the MPD and start fresh with a community-oriented, nonviolent public safety and outreach capacity. Nonviolent public safety and outreach capacity. Elsewhere in his thread that he wrote, Fletcher argues that the city's police department is irredeemably beyond reform and that the community needs a new type of public safety that, quote, doesn't fear our residents and, quote, doesn't murder black men, end quote. So you have to then ask yourself, what does nonviolent public safety look like? If the public safety organization, since they're going to disband the, quote, police department and replace it with this public safety uh, organization, if this organization pledges no violence in the enforcement of public safety, do they honestly believe that the citizens that they are, quote, unquote, protecting are going to also honor the no violence rule that is being put in place? In other words, are assaults and rapes and armed robberies and murders going to stop in the city of Minneapolis because the police department is gone and the new public safety organization, community-based on nonviolence, is pledging to not use any violence against them? Is everyone just suddenly going to be struck by the Holy Spirit of goodness, and never commit crimes again in the city of Minneapolis? I, I, I'm, I'm, I am blown away by the suggestion that less police and the threat of police, which deters criminals from committing crimes, that they believe that less police is going to make their city a safer place. They're talking about wanting to create a, a, a safety force that doesn't murder black men. And they are talking about essentially condemning hundreds, if not thousands, of black people to death. Because when cops aren't there, black people get killed by an extraordinary, overwhelming ratio. It's not even something that's disputable or debatable. 
6% of the American population is African-American males. That 6% of the American population commits 44% of the homicides in this country. Over half of the total violent crimes. And who are their victims? Not usually white people, but other African Americans, which is true of all races. When crime, when violent crimes are committed by white people, it's usually against other white people. When violent crimes are committed by black people, it's usually against other black people. In fact, to the tune of 94% of homicides of black people are by other blacks. And if the police aren't there, that number is going to skyrocket. How do we know? Because it happens all the time. Jason Riley uh, wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal this week, summarizing new reports by economists and statisticians who literally have been looking into this for years. When police officers pull back because of... Uh, controversial police interactions or heavy media scrutiny or uh, these types of things, and they pull back and they become less proactive because they are afraid of going into urban neighborhoods, i.e. minority neighborhoods, seeing crimes, interacting with them, having to use force to stop them because they're afraid of either being carried out on a stretcher or in a coffin or being sent to prison for their interaction. They pull back. And what happens when they pull back? Violent crime skyrockets in those areas, which is why this is so bizarre to have Minnesota or Minneapolis, rather, or any other state, cities or states talking about disbanding police. Because do you know who the loudest voice is crying out for more police patrol and more police protection in their communities is the loudest voices belong to African-Americans. They are crying for police support and protection in their neighborhoods because when the cops aren't there, that's when those crime stats that I just quoted for you take place. Jason Riley wrote, in 2016, Mr. Uh, this is talking about Harvard economist Roland Fryer and co-author Tanaya Devi, or Devi. They released a study of racial differences of police use of deadly force. To the surprise of the author, as well as many in the media and on the left who take racist law enforcement as a given, he found no evidence of bias in police shootings. His conclusions have been echoed by researchers at the University of Maryland and Michigan State University, who in a paper released last year wrote, We didn't find evidence for anti-black or anti-Hispanic disparity in police use of force across all shootings, and if anything, we found anti-white disparities when controlling for race-specific crime. Mr. Fryer said in an interview that the new paper that's coming out is an extension of his earlier research. And although it seemed clear to him that racial disparities in police shootings stem primarily from racial disparities in criminal behavior, police departments continued to be investigated, and he suspected those investigations were not having the intended effect. In fact, he noticed what he suspected was a pattern that warranted further study. After surveying more than two dozen federal and state probes of police departments, the pattern became clear. When police were investigated following incidents of deadly force that had gone viral, police activity declined in those areas, and violent crime spiked. It happened in Ferguson, 
It happened in Chicago. It happened in Baltimore. Mr. Fryer stressed that this isn't the investigation, that it isn't the investigations themselves that are the problem, as much as the circumstances under which they are launched. Investigations that weren't prompted by well-publicized events resulted in little change in police behavior, and thus, no increases in violent crime. Quote, but when I look at cities in which the investigation was preceded by a viral media event, he said, homicide goes up considerably. Total crime goes up considerably. What happens, he said, is that the police effectively pull back. They don't stop doing their jobs, but they become less proactive and curb their interactions with civilians. The result of that is, well, what do criminals do? They take advantage of opportunity. And when police are not present, that's when they commit their crimes. And the victims, again, are majority, overwhelming majority, African Americans. So if black lives matter, they need to stop calling for the abolition of police and truly ask for an increase in police patrol in minority neighborhoods. Peter Kirsten, I will expand upon this coming up next on 1420 The Answer. All right, 935, we continue on AM 1420 The Answer. It's a free-for-all Friday. I have just one interruption of free-for-all phone calls, and that would be one guest. His name is Peter Kersenow. If you listen to me on a regular basis on Tuesday, you know Pete. If you're not a Tuesday listener, and we know people cannot listen to the same show five days a week for all hours. Uh, we know that the audience uh, turns over a bit. So if you're not too terribly familiar with Peter Kersenow, because maybe you're only a Friday listener, Peter is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He's a Cleveland attorney. He is a best-selling author. He is a columnist for the National Review and many, many more things. And he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Pete. Bob, how you doing? 100 days until the NFL season begins in Cleveland. Looks like the NBA season is going to start soon, maybe a month and a half. I am, frankly, not too excited about that, but I'm always excited for football, provided that nobody takes a knee. Amen to that. You know, and I will ask you about the Breeze uh, controversy in uh, in just a few minutes, I, I think, because it's uh, it's part of this discussion right now. But the discussion I want to have, Pete, uh, is about the narrative. Uh, first of all, I just spent the last segment, I know you're busy every morning, so I don't know if you were able to hear it, but I just spent the last segment talking about the Minneapolis City Council being on the verge of voting to literally abolish their police department, to replace it with something that they are calling uh, would be a community-based, non-violent safety force. In other words, the safety forces will be pledging to use no violence, and I'm wondering if that means they will be unarmed. And then I'm wondering who would volunteer for such a job, because you are assuming that the community of criminals, and every community has as criminals will also take the pledge to be nonviolent. Um, it is one of the most asinine things that I have ever heard. And I just read statistics from Jason Riley, who was quoting uh, uh, Roland Fryer uh, from Harvard uh, about what happens whenever police are not present or not being proactive in communities. These are numbers you and I have discussed num- numerous times. And the, uh, the, the outcome is always the same. When police are not proactive because of viral events, this is what Harper, or I mean, uh, Fryer is, uh, is, uh, reporting on. When police are not proactive, uh, homicides and violent crimes spike in the communities where they have withdrawn from. And these are almost inevitably, um, minority urban areas. So if Black Lives Matter, Peter Kersenow, um, removing police 
and removing the potential use of force from the police is going to create a whole heck of a lot more victims, more black victims, um, than actually having heavily police, and the statistics don't even, uh, they certainly bear this out, uh, than having police officers in those communities. You and I have talked about this in the past. Uh, our friend Heather McDonald has done yeoman's work on this, actually detailing this in an in excruciating fashion, what transpires. Um, you know, it's called... Heather called it the Ferguson effect when police withdraw, and this is simply a limited withdrawal. It's not defunding the police or dismantling it. But when, we, when police withdraw, you have a spike in crime. Duh. You know, it's like everything I need to learn, I, I learned in kindergarten. Yeah. Um, th- that's going to happen, and, you know, we've got stats to show it. There was an increase of 2,000 black deaths right after Ferguson uh, in terms of murders and things of that nature in the year succeeding that. I mean, th- this is it's just the nuttiness uh, that is pervasive throughout society today. I'll say this. Let me be very cynical because that's all we have right now, just pervading cynicism. Um, I'm hopeful that the Republicans, I know Donald Trump will do this, jump all over this. Um, I'm hopeful uh, the media won't cover it because I think even their media allies understand how lunatic this is and what kind of damage this does to the Democratic Party. So I think they're going to soft pedal this and you won't see too much coverage of it. Nonetheless, Minneapolis, where this uh, has all originated, isn't the only one, as you know, that is proposing this. You've got major cities like New York and Los Angeles and others that are, are saying the same thing. Um, it's nuts on steroids. A couple of other observations. Yeah, I, I hope that this is something. But by the way, no major Democrat has come out to distance themselves from this, which is essential. I mean, this is something that's been talked about for a couple of days. And there's a rule of thumb in politics that when something like this happens, something this lunatic, a party does something so palpably bad for its image and electoral prospects, that leadership immediately gets in front of television cameras to say and disassociate themselves from it. They haven't done so. The longer they do that, the longer the stink starts to sit in on on them and all their Democratic candidates. On top of that, they've made the mistake of having some Democrats like Rashida Tlaib and others who've come out affirmatively and say they support this kind of thing. Major, major problem. The other observation I'd like to make is, isn't it curious that these kinds of things seem to happen in Democratic strongholds? Now, um, I don't know the genealogy with respect to the Democratic Party in Minneapolis in terms of how far back it goes, but my suspicion is it probably goes back a significant uh, time, as it does in most Democratic uh, strongholds. We have in Minneapolis a woke Democratic mayor. We have a woke uh, Democratic government. You've got black prosecutors, black cops, a black state attorney general. Why is it that all of these racist, discriminatory acts, allegedly racist and discriminatory acts, occur in Democratic strongholds. Chicago has been in Democratic hands for 90 uninterrupted years. Not a Republican in sight in government. Baltimore, 65 years, uninterrupted rule. Not a Republican in sight. And same with you know, most of the other uh, cities where you hear about all these things happening. This is astonishing. Someone needs to ask, if they're looking out for black people, why is it that all the bad things that happen to black people happen almost exclusively, or at least predominantly, in Democratic strongholds? This to fund the police effort is sheer lunacy. But what's striking about it is, again, I've told you that uh, if you want to know what's going on or what the left has planned for America five years from now, come to a civil rights commission meeting today because they they 
test drive their idiot ideas at the Civil Rights Commission, usually five to ten years before they try to spring it on the rest of the populace. So I'm not unfamiliar with this. Typically what they want to do is have some kind of unarmed uh, social worker, that, that's what they call them, but some type of presence in the community, as if that's going to deter the kind of thuggery you saw very clearly on video, even here in, in Cleveland, but all across the country. It's not going to happen. And I'll tell you one thing, another thing that's going to happen, if you are in these cities, move out fast, get out fast, because as opposed to in the past, this may come to fruition because it's uh, being propelled even more by Trump derangement syndrome. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot was on a conference call yesterday and the day before that, begging major companies to remain in Chicago. If you're a company or a small business, if you're one of these businesses, I'm looking out of my office right now down Euclid Avenue, I had to walk past all those boarded up buildings, all the boarded up little institutions, all the boarded up little restaurants. Um, if you're one of those folks, are you going to think twice or three times or four times before skedaddling? If, even if you don't know that somebody's going to spring some kind of lunatic proposition like this, you're there to peaceably support your family and the families of your employees, and yet the people whose chief function, their chief function is to provide for the security of persons and property within their jurisdiction have decided to abdicate their chief function. I'm getting out of Dodge, aren't you? Mm -hmm. So all of these woke mayors, they're shooting themselves in the foot, but I don't care if they shoot themselves in the foot. Who cares about them? I can, I'm concerned about America and the American people, and, and apparently all they care about is posturing and all, their own uh, electoral prospects. Unforgivable. I care about... I, I care about other people's feet that they are shooting and legs and torsos and heads and everything else that's what i care about because uh pete you, uh, and i want to get into the narrative and i want to get into your column for uh which is tremendously meticulous statistical research for nro national review online uh but we'll do that after this short time out peter kirsten has got one more segment left in him we're going to let him explain the numbers in detail that ex that prove uh once and for all that the stated reason for the ongoing destruction of America in hundreds of American cities is flat out false. It is wrong, it is a lie, it is a myth. And Pete explains that next. I